listening to Charge Podcast, episode 32, the podcast that looks at tech under the hood. I'm your host, Owen, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, John. How are you this week, John? Hibiscus! <laughs> Hibiscus! Hibiscus, Owen. <laughs> I feel like people who are listening to this need to know what you're referring to if they're not in the Slack channel. I think we should just make it the inside joke. The Slack inside joke? Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's a very, very insidey joke. How are you? I'm good. It is. You sound sick. I'm very sick. Terribly ill. If we had done this on the correct day, I would have sounded terrible. <laughs> it's just the flu. It's almost gone. I'm great. Uh, the weather here is insane. I like basically in a went bad out. Way? No, I went outside in a shorts and t shirts today. It's now, it's winter. It's December 18th. I have my windows wide open and I feel like I could probably turn the air conditioning on. What? Yeah. It's It's crazy. Global warming again. Seems to be a reoccurring theme in our lives these days. That it's warm mostly. But to be fair, I am flying to New Zealand in like two weeks. So it's summer there and I cannot complain. (laughs) So it's perfect. Shall we get into it? I feel like we have a lot of a lot of stuff to cover today. Yeah, I'm looking at Trello and I'm like, oh lord! All right, all right. First up, so magic leap, magic leap. Uh, <laughs> it literally says that in the Trello. So magic leap. This week, a report came out. There was an interview with their CEO from the information. I think it was, and basically, it was a story about how their tech is nothing like they're saying that it is what it's like all of the videos have been completely fake there was a whole bunch of sources saying that uh it's nowhere near also, what thought- they're advertising and that's it <laughs> basically it's all bullshit <laughs> uh yeah like but then when you look at how much funding they've raised uh right. they've raised 1.3 billion dollars in funding yeah so either the thing that they've demonstrated to investors has been bullshit too or I don't know. I was try- I was trying to figure this out too. It seems very strange to me that there's all this drama about how it doesn't live up to what they're saying it is and it's a two-year-old product. One of the, yeah, but one of the core things of the story was basically Magic Leap's technology. They bet on a type of display called a fiber display, which is basically a it's in a pair of glasses where they pull fibers in front of your eyes and they vibrate them to uh, with a projection on them to basically give you the illusion of augmented reality but turns out the technology hasn't worked so they've had to do something else so is that uh, maybe that's the problem investors bought into one thing and then that hasn't eventuated so like a pivot is not uncommon obviously right if you and but then you look at theranos and it's like (laughs) yeah right and like so like similar kind of feelings right large amounts of funding um a very audacious technology to bring to market in a consumer manner um very so, secretive. Very secretive. And so, and you think about Theranos, their original, original thing, the mission was just to, um, to, to make blood testing on one machine and like make it super, uh, cheap and super accessible and like disrupt the industry that way. And I think that the mission for Magic Leap is the idea of, of, um, kind of commoditized, uh, our, our, augmented reality for everyone right and so it's not unfair to say well they've raised a lot of money and it's going to take like you're betting on the team you're not necessarily betting on the tech right and so yes and so like people bet on elizabeth holmes and that was probably not a very good bet but this dude uh who's the ceo of this company apparently has a pretty impressive track record so 
the report basically said that the information actually received a product demo, which is the first time or the second time that a press ever got a demo. Apparently the helmet was large and unwieldy using multiple cables and had similar elements to the HoloLens, but was often blurrier and jettier than the Microsoft prototype, which is interesting in itself. And uh, this required tethering. So it didn't uh, work independently because that's quite like the cool thing about the HoloLens, right? So it's just the thing on your head. You don't have to have any cables. But yeah, so the, the fiber scanning technology I was talking about actually is a fiber optic cable that moves back and forth and draws images out of light by shining a laser through it, but it doesn't work. And it's the size of a small refrigerator right now. So It, it also sounds like Star Trek shit. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like he, he woke up one day, he's like, yes, I'm going to make the wrist communicator or whatever, you know, like I wonder, I wonder if this is one of those cases where I don't know, maybe they had a great idea at the start, they got a lot of funding, and then it just completely didn't work out, and now they're really trying to uh, play catch-up to Microsoft. They got distracted by the wrong idea, you know? Yeah, but I think, you know, there is something to be said for second market mover advantage. Like, there's first market mover advantage for sure, and, like, if you nail the product or you create something completely new, then, like, yeah, that's really, really useful. You think about AWS with cloud, like, they basically invented cloud, like they nailed the product. And then DigitalOcean, we capitalized on second market mover advantage, right? The, the path was clear as to where to bring the company and how to fit in, in, in mm-hmm. juxtapose or contrast with the existing market. And so you like they can if they have one point three billion dollars in funding, almost one point four, one point three nine. Like, yeah, I bet I, I would I would be. Uh, given that it's mostly adults that work at that company, like you go look at their, <laughs> like it is, it's all old people. Yeah. yeah. So like, I don't think that they're like, they've burnt, I, I would be shocked if since they raised their first round February, 2014, and they raised their most recent round, uh, February this year, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked if they've blown through like more than a hundred million dollars. The other thing to think about is, those investors likely wouldn't have put money in without having seen something that made them do that. So regardless of the press report, I suspect that they don't have the whole story. Yeah. And who's going to put that much money in? Like, that's crazy. Well, if you look at who did do their, their, um, rounds and you look at their early rounds, Qualcomm was in their series B. And so Qualcomm likely has like, if Qualcomm says we're going to make the underlying technology for this thing, we're going to like work with these people to build the chipset and like whatever, and like we're going to work to make make this work. Then, and then you look at who's in their C, or um, like it makes sense that people like Morgan, uh, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, you know, like Fidelity and stuff like that, more institutional investors would come along with someone like Qualcomm and say, okay, look, if, if you're going to, if you're basically building the underlying core technology, we'll effectively fund that, that R and D, which may look like yeah. effectively like JP Morgan and, 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 uh, Morgan Stanley literally just giving a hundred million dollars straight to Qualcomm to do the chip and stuff like that. And then, you know, like that, that the, the when you think about financing, it's just all deploying cap, yeah. capital to make investment. Right. And so it, I don't, I don't think it's like, I think it's an interesting rapport. I think it's probably tr- like my, but I don't, I wouldn't have expected them. Like it's, 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 two, it's true it's, at this point in time. It's two yes, years, right? Basically. Like who cares? The other thing is, I do I do have to admit I do get some delight from it being crap given how 
like how secretive it all is. Yeah. Like it would be a beautiful, beautiful story. And I think that's why people have kind of salivated over this failure air quotes because it, like they're so secret and nobody knows anything. So they're, they're like, Oh yeah, obviously it's going to suck. And I think, you know, this is an element of having so much hype. I think they have to play a long game. Why would they take a billion dollars if they weren't playing a long game here? Right. Yeah. So that's magic. Magic leap sucks. Maybe is the conclusion of that. I think. Well, magically probably sucks today. Yeah. But there's but no the reason why like, they can't leapfrog HoloLens because it's their core yeah. competency. And it's how long How billion. long were they going to wait anyway? Were they going to release something now or were they going to wait another five years? Maybe we don't see anything for five years at all. You well, know, like for sure. And also in their investment rounds, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that they've received funding from like some game studios and stuff like that too. Yeah. Way to workshop. Uh, they have a super secretive office in Wellington, New Zealand, where Weta Workshop, the folks who worked on Lord of the Rings are based and right. they have a collaboration. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it must be good. I mean, they're definitely, there's like a whole vision of something that's coming together here. Right. And like, I don't think it's, I don't think that we should like, um, burn the witch because, you know, the MVP is not, <laughs> is not, you know, the HoloLens. You know, I, I read something about, I was reading a book about how to release products and I don't, I don't remember which book it was, but it was saying that one of the reasons that Google glass failed is they basically did what Microsoft is doing with HoloLens right now. So Google glass came to market in an early beta version, basically like, as you said, blazed the market, showed everybody this crazy idea, putting glasses on your face and capturing data and taking photos from your eye perspective and all this stuff. And it crashed and burned obviously. And now what, like four years later, Snapchat comes out and they have glasses and a camera and that's it. And people yeah. love it. Yeah. So sometimes doing the first thing isn't the best thing. And wow. I think that's super interesting. Basically magic leap can watch Microsoft unlearn right now. So it's perfect. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. And if you're small and nimble, you can be very reactionary to what a big business is doing. And like, if you basically run your business by determining the tone that somebody else sets, that's actually a super easy way to run your business. Like you just watch what whoever's setting the tone for the market sets, and then you, you create some juxt right. juxt to that position. It makes per perfect sense. Well, I guess I'm, I'm sure that like, in the next million episodes, we're yeah. going to talk about Magic Leap forever. Until, it's, until, kind of, it's kind of... Until we get to just quoting Wall Street Journal articles week over week on the yeah. failure and like the, the slow demise yeah, yeah. of the company. We still didn't see anything yeah. from them. Yeah. But it's... I don't know. I can I can see that it's kind of cool to hate on them, right? Like, because they are secretive. So let's refrain. <laughs> so Uber this week hit the road in San Francisco with self-driving cars. Yeah. Crazy. After doing it in Pittsburgh for the last six months now, something like that? Mm, a month. Oh, was so only a month? Oh, God. <laughs> in tech years, it feels like forever. But they were doing it with permission in... Um, right. Was it Pennsylvania or Philadelphia? I thought it was Pittsburgh. Oh, Pittsburgh, right. <laughs> I don't know. I, what state is that in? I have no idea. Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> So in San Francisco, they didn't have permits though. And they kind of announced it on the day they were hitting the road. And so weird, weird stuff happened. They ran a red light and then the city of San Francisco asked them to stop. <laughs> like cease and desist driving your vehicles, of course, because they didn't ask. And then Uber said no. 
And I know how you feel about regulation and breaking regulation. So what do you think of that? Uber basically said that it doesn't believe that the um, regulations surrounding self-driving cars apply to its vehicles. Right. Because they said something along the lines of we're no different from a Tesla, you know, because the Tesla has self-driving features and they have two drivers in each car. So it's technically (laughs) self-driving. I feel like everything is just a legal loophole these days. I find the way that he said it very bizarre. You don't need to wear a belt and suspenders and whatever else, things that don't apply if you're wearing a dress. What? If 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 you're driving a car, you don't need a fishing and game permit. That was the response. That's because you're not fishing. I don't really understand what wearing a dress and suspenders and a belt has to do with anything either. What if I want to wear a dress and belt and suspenders? Like, I don't know. What is this quote? (laughs) What is this quote? They got the worst excuse guy ever to defend. This is like the VP of their advanced technologies group. Look, guys, if you're wearing a dress, you don't need suspenders and a belt. So if you're driving a car, you shouldn't need a a fishing permit. Okay. (laughs) Okay. What about a permit that allows the car to operate autonomously? That's like being like, um, I don't even know what that's like. Uh, It's like, I don't, I'm going to go hunting with a AR 47. So, um, I'm not, I'm not going to apply for a fish and game permit because, uh, I I already (laughs) have, because I'm using a large gun or something. Yeah. It's like, what? just, there's no logical sense there. So what I really want to know is the real reason that they don't want to do it. I assume because it costs money. $150. What is that? (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. Yeah, that's terrible. So they there must be like a something, either they don't want to have to, I don't really understand. It must be a paperwork thing, surely. Like they don't want to do the, the required bullshit government red tape to them. But that seems odd. Why wouldn't they want to work with the cities that they're testing in rather than make it hard for everybody? So basically they're saying that because their, their autopilot system requires a driver it's the same as tesla system and therefore uh you don't require a license but also teslas are not commercial vehicles and they don't promise to self-drive necessarily right but uber has gone out in the press and been like hey come go for a ride in our autonomous vehicles where yeah call the car and nobody will be driving yeah so like (laughs) they're definitely like running some interesting line here it's that bullshit tech tech uh, company thing as always i think in this case same with theranos like yeah we walk the line between regulation and not until we get sued <laughs> i don't know i don't like it on the topic of self-driving cars though google spun out its self-driving car company this week yeah what's it called which is Way- crazy waymo waymo google's basically out of the self-driving oh, car business wait they spun it off as and they made it a separate business unit right Yes. Yeah. So I don't think they're out of it. I think that they're, it's like what they did with Link MIC, and like I think they're well, they're, the, they're in it. The rumor is though that they aren't building the full car anymore. They're working only with other companies now. Oh, they just want to do the platform. Yeah. So they only want to provide the software. Interesting. Yeah, because you'll never be able to compete with Tesla. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes a degree of sense, right? But 
Yeah, it's so it's still within Alphabet. It's just not within Google anymore. So it's that means they're taking a bigger bet, though, in my opinion. I agree. Like that means it's an actual company, and they have to actually provide revenue and investments and all this kind of thing. There's a lot of talk at Google right now about tightening the budget on the moonshots. You're seeing them kind of being killed left, right, and center. And I think this is a way to guarantee it's not just killed. Interesting. I hope they keep making the cute cars because the cars are adorable. But they're also, aren't they building the sensor units for some Chrysler cars too? Yeah, they're collaborating with a lot of different ways. I guess that makes sense, right? Because they're they're trying to go to the market with a lot of different products rather than just one, which is smart. It's so nice if you own the platform too, because you get all the metrics and insights too. So it doesn't matter if it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's Ford or like whatever, if you're providing the platform that everyone's running on top of. It's like it's so, like you've got Google Apps like or Gmail 2.0. Right. It all makes sense though because now Waymo has a CEO. It means that they have to report revenues, they have to do everything and you'll be able to see them broken out in the alphabet profits from now on. What did you think of all of the photos of the people's faces at uh Donald Trump's little tech summit that he did? Oh my god. Apparently Elon Musk just talked the whole time. Really? Yeah. That's weird. That's really weird. So what was that though? So can you explain to me? I didn't keep up with like American politics this week super much. I saw all the faces, but I didn't really understand the context of what was going on. Well, it just sounds like Donald Trump like summoned a bunch of, well, probably Peter Thiel, Donald Trump, Peter Thiel combo, you know, group, uh, uh, summoned the summoned the overlords of the of the valley to to new york to trump tower so it's like sandberg tim cook uh uh, bezos larry page um like (laughs) basically everyone was in the room except jack dorsey who was not invited apparently because he did not put a uh, crooked hillary emoji on uh on twitter (laughs) which i actually presume is not the real reason and the real reason is that jack dorsey is like not in the tech founder elite anymore because twitter yeah, I suspect twitter is not, not a real company or something. Yeah. not really that they're not really that <laughs> savage not, savage not really, that, not really a real company anymore are they so this tech this tech summit i saw a pretty scathing article from kara swisher swisher on recode saying about how trump was letting it down his hair for the the tech elite and that they shouldn't buy into it how do you feel about it how does it, how do you feel about the fact that basically they all showed up to suck up to this guy? I don't think they showed up to suck to up to him, and I don't think that Tim Cook takes shit from anyone. Oh my god, his face in that in that meeting room—he was just like, "Oh god, why am I here? I don't want to be here in this room." Tim Cook is a really brave man. I have so much respect for Tim Cook. Like, say yeah. what you will about him as the Apple CEO or like whether or not you think he's innovative or visionary or Steve Jobs or any of that bullshit mm. that people say, whatever. He is like a great human. I he like He stands up for what I, he believes in. And what he believes in is good stuff. Yeah, I remember like shortly after Steve Jobs passed and he was in charge, he basically reversed that long-standing Apple policy that the company wouldn't give to charity. That was one of his first acts was they would match employee donations. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty bold move kind of like going against something that Steve Jobs did for 20 years. And he just did it. And he said like, I truly believe in giving to charity as a company. And then he's done the renewable energy thing. He came out as being gay uh, two years ago uh, in that speech at White House or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, he did. He did not look impressed. But. So uh, that's why I think it's a good thing. I don't think I you you don't you don't 
become a titan of the business world and like the leader of a fortune business that employs tens of thousands of people unless you're a solid stick to your guns badass like no like we'll just fight your battles kind of person and so i i do not think that 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 Sheryl Sandberg or Jeff Bezos or, or Tim Cook or any of those people would sit complacently in a room and, and allow things to happen. I think we've certainly seen that Apple's done a fantastic, fantastic job in the past of pushing back against uh, the, the government generally and against the FBI and really fighting for their, their customers' rights. And I don't think that this is going to be any different. I think that, I think, Look, there is something like there's a couple of things that should probably happen. I definitely think that 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 there needs to be a one time tax break to allow American corporations to bring offshore funds back into the U.S. because Apple. specifically Apple, because all that cash sitting out of country is like fine, but bring it back on shore, right? Pay your taxes, bring it back on shore. Sure. They're like tax rates don't make sense. The incentives aren't aligned, whatever, like that stuff does need to get fixed. And I also like, I don't know if he can actually do this. And I'm, I know, like I talk about this stuff a lot, but I don't know the exact proper way to do this, but I do feel like a lot of the conversation around tariffs and like taxing, um, air quotes, like American made. So like the iPhone or like the, the, the Apple like products or like whatever, right? Like they are American made in that they're American. They designed it. Yeah. Like they're they're, they're, right. And so they probably like there's, there's, you know, maybe there's other than the free market and capitalism, there's no good reason for them to be made abroad. Right. And like, I think that, that like, it's just the only problem is there's so much stopgap thinking and short-term thinking and thinking that bringing factory and manufacturing jobs back to America is actually what's going to fix America. Because although it It may like it may satiate a little bit of what's bubbling today and it may also um, deal with like the next five to 10 years, like building factories, getting things built here, stuff like that of, of, of this um, gap between the the knowledge work economy and the traditional manufacturing economy and this whole Trump effect and blah, 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 this thing, stuff that we know is this decoupling of America. Like in theory, it's a good idea to bring all these jobs back and, and have people like, but there's a couple problems with that. First and foremost, we know that robotics and automation are getting really good. We know that they're going to get even better. And we know that more and more and more and more jobs are going to be able to be automated. And we know that more and more and more jobs are going to be able to replace, be replaced by robotics and neural networks. So like it's stopgap in that regard, a, and it's also stopgap. Yeah. You know, mostly I think it's just it's, stopgap. in every, in every area. Like if you think about, okay, imagine a crazy scenario where Apple brings iPhone production to the U S right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Foxconn, they probably have a thousand workers that work on the iPhone production line. You can bet your ass that when Apple brings it to America, only 200 people will work on that production line. For sure. And the other problem is... um, Because of automation. There are the skills these days that are required to 
do that type of work are not possessed by Americans. So there is also a a retraining that would have to happen anyway. Like people who work in those Foxconn factories, like have for the last 10 years known how to like screw devices together and what silicone is and stuff like that. If you worked in like the Rust Belt on automotive or, or, um, or like electrical stuff or, or maybe like you may not, like you probably don't understand microelectronics and like what goes into creating a device. Cause that's a different how type of manufacturing. Do? And I don't think those people are in the Rust Belt. So you're going to have to do retraining anyway. So like, I don't, I don't really buy the, this economic theory. Like, I don't think it's a good long-term theory and I don't think America generally as a, as an economy needs any more short-term thinking. So like this, this idea of like bringing all the money back and building factories here and, you know, having a second industrial wave of industrial revolution is like really a beautiful pipe dream. I really like it, but I don't really believe that it ties to what's actually going on in the real world right and i I don't think that it makes any sense at the end of the day like all of the things that you said added up apple if apple was forced to do it they would bring some sort of obscure product line to america i think to to do it like the mac pro is a great example of of that i think they would do the the smallest one like okay we'll make airpods here or something like that to to get off the hook basically yeah can you imagine the iphone ever coming to america no, no. i mean like the scale of that like they couldn't i don't think they could survive it it's just it would just like apple's supply chain has is so optimized it's not even funny like they, they have some of the best supply. I mean, that was Tim Cook, right? Like he really, that's, yeah. he understands Apple's supply chain end to end because he built it I mean, big time. Yeah. And that's the only reason it works is because it's where it is. I mean, that's the reality. So I have been hearing a lot recently from the underbellies of the tech world that the, oh. uh, that the, um, advertising online advertising market is about to fall over this has been happening for a long time but, but like yes. it's about to collapse in a big way like completely i mean if you look at if the, you look ad, at the, the trend ad markets of, and exchanges are all going to go to shit and you're talking about display ads and internet yeah, advertising and in think, general so we the whole model yeah and, and so is so i don't know enough about this and you know more about it than i do like tell me about Facebook's like this is now what the third time that they've reported fourth their time. fourth time they've reported their metrics wrong. Yeah, so it's pretty insane. Basically, Facebook admitted for the fourth time this week that it got its metrics wrong for advertisers. Right, so this time was I don't remember what it was this time specific specifically, but the last time they overreported uh, interactions on Facebook Live videos, and then the time before that they overreported how many people watched a auto-playing video. And then the time before that, they overreported instant article views. You know what's really interesting about that? Uh, those are all the things that they hyperinflated at the time to get publishers to use them. Instant articles was pushed as a way to get more views on your articles and sell more eyeballs. Facebook autoplay video was a way to sell more eyeballs. Same with all of these other tools. And somehow Facebook got it wrong. How are they getting it wrong? And also, well, the fact that they're admitting that they got it wrong is pretty monumental in itself. Most ad ad networks would never admit it. All ad networks know they overreport. Everybody does. If you talk about Google AdWords, they know they overinflate that shit. I mean, the reality is nobody actually knows how many eyeballs are looking at an ad. 
right? You, I mean, you scroll past it, but you, nobody knows if you actually saw it or if it loaded in time, right, right, right. But Facebook admitting it is kind of like, you can kind of tell that they, it seems like they kind of knew about it. I don't know. It seems like they might need to hire data scientists or something. But that's <laughs> the, 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 that seems to be the core of it. But the reality is like, if you're paying 50 cents or a dollar for every time somebody clicks your ad supposedly, but those are double double reported what does that mean for for your dollar nothing i mean like it's fucked it's completely fucked and i think facebook knows that the that its core product is dying right like if have you seen how thirsty they are on like the newsfeed lately it's crazy please share things we'll change the font size if it's a status and photos are enormous and they get push notifications and all this stuff and i think facebook knows how much they rely on the the ad revenue from there um and they're in trouble and they're not the only ones. Like everybody else, the display, the display business. If you talk to anybody in publishing right now, they know how much trouble they're in. I don't know a publisher that's not freaking out about how you basically have to put more and more ads on a site to make the same amount of money that you had to from every view before. I sometimes that's think bad, I sometimes, bad news. We're getting to the point where you almost um, we're getting to the point where you, you almost don't have any window left for the content. Like I loaded up a page no, the other day ad. and I'm like, are you seriously? I have this like high resolution display that like we've worked for years on making like not 800 retina by 600 display. anymore. Yeah. And like, and you're using my beautiful retina display to serve me my content in a tiny square in the bottom left hand corner. Like go F yourself. You. Yeah. It's crazy. I, it's crazy when, do you know the oatmeal? It's a, like a cartoonist. Yeah. Uh, he published a comic this week about how hilarious it is that the responsive web was invented. And, you know, like the responsive web is when you have like a desktop side and it resizes properly down onto a mobile. And he was saying like, oh, it's so nice on the desktop. And then when you resize it, these publishers are like trying to make you install the app and adding sticky banners and like redirecting you to the app store. It's fucking crazy. And it's like, Nobody has figured this shit out yet. And I think you're right. Like the ad industry is going to collapse. How like this, it's not, it's not sustainable anymore. Yeah. I don't know. This Facebook thing concerns me a lot. Like at its core, what you're seeing Facebook do is a lot of crazy stuff to try and get people to keep sharing and it's not working, right? Nothing, nothing is working. And so they're doing stuff in Messenger, trying to get you to engage more. But like, well, that's the whole the thing about is, video, right? Like, the idea about video yeah. is if you can get people to create their own content, they'll share authentic original why think, content. Why do you think they're putting all those billboards all over the world about how to put a live video on Facebook? Right. They need that. They need yep. it. The only content people are making is video. And you know where that content actually is? Snapchat. Snapchat. Yeah, baby. It's true. Like, even Instagram think, doesn't have the scale of content that Snapchat has. No, and I think that's the the reality is people people under 30 or even like anybody, most people, I would say under 50 don't actually want their content to persist forever. And I think that now that the internet's been around for what, you know, like for most of us like 15 plus years, looking back 15 years ago on the internet makes everybody uncomfortable. And Snapchat's perfect because you share something and it disappears forever. You don't have to think about it again. And Facebook doesn't really have a product that does that. They do, but they're all copied from Snapchat. So, like, fundamentally, their business is broken because it relies on permanent, not ephemeral content, whereas Snapchat is like, 
we put ads in between your ephemeral content and it's all perfect. I don't think that works either, to I be clear. I actually watched a Snapchat ad the other day. How was it? Pretty junk. Yeah, they're not, they're not good. No. No ads are good. <laughs> I mean, this is the eternal marketing problem and we're not going to get into that. But I think fa- Facebook is fundamentally at a, a point where they're going to be in trouble. And, I, you know, for the last two years, they've been the darling of the tech world. Every time they report numbers, it's like, yeah, bajillions and millions of users are using our apps. But the, the really untold story is everybody's using Facebook, but nobody's doing anything. Right. Everybody's there but all they're doing is scrolling and leaving. It doesn't mean anything. And I think that's what's going to come out. So that's my rant about Facebook's weird metrics. I think it's, there's going to be way more. It's going to be worse. What do you think about their... everybody's... Hmm? What do you think about their steps to, that they're taking to fight fake news, how they're doing that journalistic integrity? Yeah, that's... that's I, f- I find this whole thing very frustrating. I think about Facebook too much because I used to work in the industry, but the, the thing is, why are they... The, so... Okay, the actual Explain story is, yeah. yeah, so fake news, the whole election, everybody's seen it on their feed, right? Like Hillary Clinton uh, fucked a sheep. I don't know, like what it, <laughs> whatever the news was. I hope not. You, yeah, but you could, you could imagine anything and there was a fake news for it, basically is what I'm trying to say. And there was basically Facebook would perpetuate it. Like it didn't matter if it was real or not. A million people would share it and it would still get more stories, uh, more clicks and more likes than uh, a New York Times post. And we talked, we talked on a couple of podcasts ago about that. I don't remember what it was, but there was a New York Times tax return that was shared and that got like a hundred K engagements. And then there was a fake Hillary Clinton story and it got like a hundred million engagements in half the time. Like, that is the reality that we live in is that people are so disenfranchised by the real news that they'd rather just believe fake news is real. Like that's actually the, the, the core problem here. Don't well, get me wrong. I, I was like, you know, thinking about this Russian hacking thing the other day and like how, uh, well, all the, all the news was saying that, um, Russia, Russia, like Vladimir Putin himself, like ordered the the election, you know, hacking and stuff like that or whatever. And so I'm thinking about that and I'm like, that's a that's not like being like, oh, we don't like that. You're like moving your um, troops too close to someone's border. That's like straight out like really fucking with another country and so i read that on the news and i'm like that's like really intense to say that and 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 the the quotes were like white house says vladimir putin ordered hack on dnc to swing election in favor of um of donald trump so i'm like I, I'm just, I trust even, I don't even trust the BBC anymore. Like I seriously do not trust news. And I went and watched the press conference where the white house press secretary talked about this. And he said, you know, the, the, and what he actually said was, which is not nearly as sensationalist as the way that the, the news portrayed it was we, the, the, all the, the intelligence gathering uh, uh, jurisdictions of the government collectively agree that that there was some group in Russia that uh, that hacked the DNC and that the presumed motive was to sway the election in uh, favor of Donald Trump. And then he said, and we all know how Russia works. Nothing in the Kremlin happens without 
Putin's knowledge. Now, that's not <laughs> that's slightly different than saying Vladimir Putin ordered that the election was right. Like that's that's right. Right. Yeah. F- maybe he knew about it and maybe. But like to me, uh, a world leader ordering something to happen and a world leader standing by like there's maybe slightly it's different Russia things too, like- and it's Russia. Right. So like. Uh, it, they, but but the, the, but the American the, news like, really made it sound like he like. Here's the thing: like the reality is, there's there's two there's a lot of different things going on. I think so. First of all, newsrooms are really underfunded, right? So journalists are basically made to write whatever gets clicks. Nobody has time to do source checking like they used to. So a lot of like, if you look at how a news story can be faked, right? And like you can you can, as long as you give enough evidence that the journalist feels okay about it, they'll just write it. At the end of the day, there was, and an, then if they get it wrong, they'll just correct it. It's That's it. It's getting so like I'm like, are there even editors that work at the BBC anymore? I literally saw an article where, and I'm like the dyslexic guy, I can't read, and I'm like, how am I noticing <laughs> typos in this thing? The right, they, right, the whole article where they had were supposed to put um, drunk driving, they had put D R A N K drank driving <laughs> everywhere. Right, I'm like, what's exactly. drank driving? <laughs> So, and the reality is, so if you look at the reason that fake news exists, these people realize that they can get just as many hits yeah, as the real news sites and they make as much money from the ad networks as the news sites would make. So one guy is sitting in his garage making 500K while like the news organization is trying to have 20 people on that. You know, like it's insane. It's easier for the fake news guy to just keep churning out crazy shit because it works. And so what Facebook is doing now, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of different like factors at play, I think. Um, and one is the ad networks, like they don't give a fuck really, uh, what side of shit serving the ads. Right. So, but until recently now they've started blocking them, but Facebook just announced that they're making tools available that you can flag news as, um, like it doesn't say fake. It says like, uh, this isn't from a reliable source. Like this is proved to be factually false. And then they've partnered with people's like Snopes and a bunch of others. Basically they show a thing that fact checkers showed, I don't know, looked at this article and think it's not right. That's good. I don't know if that's going to work. Might, might drive. I don't know. The thing is, I don't, I don't, uh, I like the, the concept of this, but what the question is with the crowdsourcing is one person's fake news is another person's I didn't like this. And that's the reality there. Look, here's the the thing. At the end of the day, everybody's guilty and nobody wants to take the fault. I think the the most frustrating thing about all of this is that Facebook knew that this was a problem in March. They developed the tools to deal with it and they left it until after the election to do something about it. And I think that's pretty suspicious. Or at least circumstantial at best. <laughs> yeah. I think they have a responsibility. And Mark Zuckerberg trumpets all day about how they have a whole responsibility for the community. And it creeps me out uh, that he says that. But at the end of the day, they should address that topic. And they haven't yet. So I agree. They are crazy. So AirPods, they're finally shipping after all these mysterious delays. Did you buy a pair? I did not buy a pair. Did you buy a pair? I didn't buy a pair, but I'm thinking about buying a pair, even though I don't like them. I'm crazy. What do you think? What do you like them? Do you want to buy them? Like what's? I the, think they are. I know you swear ug- by Bluetooth. Ugly as sin. They're so ugly. They, yeah, they look like cigarette butts in your ear. Oh, they're so ugly. Yeah, 
Why didn't they? Why did they design them like that? Do you think? I don't know. I, I guess, guess to keep like, the iconic design. Well, isn't there like some supersonic sensor thing in the end? Oh, or there's some? the the microphone, the beam forming microphone, yeah. so that you can hear perfectly with it or whatever. But like, they look so bad. <laughs> you you also think they're ugly then? I think they're really ugly, but I love the tech in them a lot. And I I've been. So I got the iPhone 7. Yes, I finally confessed this on the podcast, and I hate the fact that I don't have a headphone jack, but everything else is fine, and like I'm okay with buying a Bluetooth headphones, but I've been waiting for the Beats X, which is basically the AirPods with the same chip, the handoff thing, but with a cable between the two, and they look so much better, but now they're delayed till February. And so I'm like, I just want headphones, goddammit. I want headphones that work with Bluetooth and work with all my shit, but I can't get it. And so that's why I'm looking at AirPods. So I shouldn't buy them is basically the conclusion of this well, podcast. Well, I really do want to try them because apparently they're very good to listen to. They're very, very cool. Like the tech is... Uh, hey, Trace, you're... Uh, okay, you're on our podcast. That's <laughs> cool. Um, so, so this is a little thing that we do where we call someone and then just randomly talk to them. So first thing you have to do is say who you are and what you do. Awesome. Hey, Trace Cohen and my VP do uh, start investing. All right. So Trace is a friend of mine and a venture capitalist here in New York. So Trace, tell us in uh, two minutes or less what you're most excited about investing in in 2017. 2017. Let's see. Well, there's been a lot of trends in 2016 that I was kind of excited about, but lately uh, VR is kind of cool. AR is, but I still think that's years out. Uh, hmm. Automotive is pretty cool, and everyone's doing autonomy, but that's not really what excites me. I've met a few video game companies, especially a few esports companies, and so that's where I think a lot of the hype is actually going to pay off this year. Interesting. Mm. It's an actual team. They have players, and as a geek, I grew up playing video games, and we had to go downstairs and it's like a LAN party. I know I'm outdating myself, but um, now it's awesome. And the biggest one, League of Legends, just signed a $200 million contract for streaming rights. So I think there's a lot of hype right now, and they're going to form a lot of the associations and legalities around it. And so I'm looking at a few teams right now, and I think that will be the the big industry next year. Sweet. Thank you, Trace. Thank you. Have a great Sunday. I will. Love you, buddy. You too. Bye. (laughs) I love it when that happens. That was a good one. It was a really good one. That was not what I expected him to say at all. No, it's amazing, actually. Esports actually makes a, a lot of sense, though. If you look at what Twitch is doing and what Amazon is doing in that space, they're all really investing in that being the new bar sport, like the new bar uh, thing, whatever. You go to a bar and you watch a video game is what I'm trying to say. Laura is writing her law review note on um, players' rights in esports. Really? Yep. That's intense. Yeah, it's a whole. It's becoming a whole thing. Like they're actually like they have rights to not get RSI. Yeah, they're like almost the same as professional. Well, in fact, she would argue that they are the same. Well, I think she would argue that they're not the same as professional athletes, but like they're they're almost getting to be held at the same standard as professional athletes. So I presume as a VC, they get paid that way. Yeah, like I presume as a VC investing in a an esports team and the platform and like the technology around it, I guess is like the same as inve- as like investing in a, a sports team these days or or investing in Twilio it's like the infrastructure for delivering esports is like pretty pretty compelling do you think that every single yahoo account has been compromised 
A billion Yahoo accounts? I feel like that's a lot of Yahoo isn't accounts, that just, John. Isn't that just like the full user base of Yahoo effectively? Like how many users? Does- I don't think that they have more than a billion users anymore. Like they must, I mean, they must have more than that, but holy shit. So hold on, hold on, rewind. So they got hacked earlier this year by some state-sponsored hacker, right? And they disclosed that already. But in September, they got hacked by somebody else and a billion account details leaked basically and it's bad <laughs> i don't know why i mean but like just presume everything's like i've said this a zillion times on the show but like just presume everything's compromised like everything is compromised and like it's easy it's easy to say that though but the the, the key is it's i i was gonna say it's fine if a state-sponsored hacker has it but the the reality is if a billion accounts get out there and then they're in the wild. The problem is that then you also have to put into play that you have other malicious actors, AKA other people who want to get into your account and all that kind of thing. Like you're, you're talking about a whole, dif- a whole different level here. I think you kind of uh, talking about surveillance and like, yeah, okay, everybody knows what you're doing, but this is like another level where your account details are in the wild, man. Like that's crazy. And this isn't just like email accounts. It's literally like, it's email addresses, it's passwords, which are MD5 hashed, which is like 1999 encryption, by the way, <laughs> which is well, crazy. it probably is Your a security database questions. for 1999. I mean, Yahoo's been it around is, no, for a long time. It literally is. They, they, it's their mail product that got hacked. Yeah. And that's like the MD5 hashed. I'm sure they couldn't change it because there were a billion people using that shit. Yeah. Like... Legacy. Nobody, nobody at Yahoo wants to suggest changing that. Like Legacy technology is <laughs> tough. Yeah, and the the thing the the thing that really hurt hurts about this is like people are saying, "Oh yeah, but it's fine because I didn't use my Yahoo account in years." But the thing is, if you put your mother's maiden name in there or you use the security question that's your cat, you're fucked. Like you can't change that detail. And by the way, one piece of advice is when you answer security questions, I highly encourage you to answer bullshit things that you know the answer to that aren't relevant to the actual question so that you don't get owned <laughs> when this happens but the the reality is like this means this opens up a whole new level of like social uh uh social hacking what is, social engineering hacking <laughs> social hacking social engineering hacks that can happen as a result of this and it sucks but the by proxy and i think this is what will get you excited is that verizon deal is also going on at the same time and now verizon is trying to get out of it <laughs> which is just perfect are they trying to get out of it yes so apparently after this news broke Verizon is now using their lawyers to look into how to get out of it without paying a single cent. <laughs> if they're smart, they would have written something into there that like says that if the d- terms of the deal materially were impacted by something, they can get out of it. And I'm sure that's there because right now they have a break clause that's like a billion dollars. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Poor yeah. But the previously, so with that other hack, they were trying to get a billion dollars off the sale price and now they're just not interested anymore. But, like, at the core of it, you know, the sad thing is in the business world, like, this hack probably doesn't affect the deal that much because all they really wanted was Yahoo's advertising tech anyway. So (laughs) they don't care about the rest of it. Poor poor Hmm. Yahoo. Poor Marissa Mayer. Like, this will go down in history books as, like, the worst business deal (laughs) of all time. Wrong place, wrong time, huh? 
Wrong place, wrong time. We have one last thing to talk about. I feel uh, like we've powered through topics. I am so excited for this one. What should, what, what's the topic, John? The topic is the true nature of Apple fanned, fan folkdom. Fan folkdom. Yeah, Please I'm, tell me more about I'm, the fan I'm, folkdom. I'm giving up on fanboy because I'm trying to use more gender neutral pronouns in my life. So oh, I like ch- that. I'm changing fan fanboy to fan folk. Um, fan folkdom. Fan folkdom. So uh, basically, you are outraged. And I am not just the you only are, outraged. You are outraged, and the internet is <laughs> outraged. The internet is angry at Apple. Apple cannot do right right now. Like, Apple is just... No. Can do no right. So what do they do? They have removed the time remaining indicator <laughs> from the um, battery uh, indicator on Sierra as an update moving forward. <laughs> it's so absurd to me. It's absurd. It's absurd. It doesn't work. So I'm glad they're no, removing okay. it. Let's let's rewind. Let's rewind here. So they're removing the battery indicator. Not the because, indicator. The time remaining. Sorry, the battery time remaining thing. So you know, like when you click on the battery on your computer, it says like five hours and 26 minutes remaining, whatever, which by the way is usually like not right. I will acknowledge that. But... They're removing it because of backlash on the new MacBooks because the battery life is nowhere near what they're claiming. And so to fix it, they remove the battery re- remaining indicator, which is uh, hilarious. Come on. That's not the <laughs> no, reason. No, it is. It is. It is. That is the, the sources inside Apple what told the media. Okay. So let's just, let's just assume that's why they're doing it. And so as a result, they're removing it from all Macs, which Good. is absurd. About time. No, why? Tell okay. Tell me your reasoning for removing this feature. Yes, I agree it's wrong. Why do you want it gone? Why would you like present something to a user that doesn't add any value to their life? It does add value. Can I tell you why? No. <laughs> okay, I'm not okay, that's the end of this. Okay, yeah, no. <laughs> so look, I agree that that's often wrong. It's it's not necessarily completely wrong. The, oh, the thing is... When we started what? this segment, I opened my battery indicator and it said two hours and 30 remaining. I just opened my yep. battery indicator again and it now says one hour and 59 minutes remaining because I m- opened Chrome. Yeah, no, that's correct though. That's how the battery indicator works. Basically, that battery indicator was supposed to take into factor how much uh, milliamp hours are left in your battery charge right now. And then the fa- it, it did the math to see how many apps are open, the battery drain at this point in time that you looked at the battery meter and it tells you how many hours are left based on what you're doing. If you kill Chrome, it'll change. If you open the calculator app, it'll change. The whole point of it is to basically give you the gist of how much battery life you have left if you keep doing what you're doing. Do you think any regular user understands that? Absolutely. No, they do not. No, they absolutely do. I would be willing to bet like a hundred million dollars that no, they absolutely do. That like my my fourteen year old cousin would look at that and go, "Oh, I have two hours and thirty minutes remaining," and then I know, and then click on it later and be like, "Why is it now? What app? Well, my Mac's broken. I got to take it in and get a service." I I totally disagree. The thing is, now there's no way to gauge how your battery is draining. Before you could look at that thing and you're like, "Oh, I'm." 
I don't know, uh, recording a podcast right now and my battery says it's got two hours left and then you open Chrome, which everybody knows is like a battery life disaster. And then you look at it again, it says it's only got tw- 12 minutes left and you're like, fuck, that thing must have been bad. Now, all you have to go on is I have 50% left. Hmm. I still have 50% when I open 28 apps. So I guess I'll get about the same battery life. It doesn't even matter. I'll just keep doing shit. Like now there's no way to know what the impact of what you're doing is even if it was wrong it was it was kind of like this vague guide to to whatever can you imagine if like i don't know i'm trying to think of something ridiculous but file copy dialogues never correct file copy file copy dialogues are like the butt of a joke forever if you remove that people would be outraged like how long left is on my file copy uh same with download indicators like oh the download has eight hours i don't know but it finished in one minute like want to hear it's crazy a super secret it's all estimations what the digital ocean droplet creation indicator was like just an ad just an animated gif we just we knew that yeah. it was yeah, yeah it yeah. is generally but, 55 seconds so you know yeah. it always so, was 55 can seconds. we talk about that like that's the reality in tech as most of this stuff is an illusion to give the user an idea of what is going on behind the scenes it doesn't have to be right it doesn't have to be perfect but by removing this now the user doesn't know all they know is 50 percent. what does 50 percent mean is that one hour is that two minutes i don't know but i think you like, like generally get it like you get a feel for your your machine like i like i know i totally have no idea how a mac drains man i have no idea Really? It doesn't like right now I'm on 40% and I was just on 80. Like I have no idea. Like I know that if I do audio editing and I'm on my Mac, my battery's going to go faster than if I'm just browsing around. And I know that if I'm doing a bunch of reading on my Mac, which requires me to have a bunch of tabs open, uh, it's going to be less than me doing email on my Mac, which only requires me to sure, have sure. one tab open. So like I totally, I I totally agree feel with that. that about it. But like what, value is in there is there and just removing it like why not just leave it there it was kind of wrong but why not just leave it and work on it like it just it's absurd to me i feel like this is so apologetic for apple because also on microsoft side of the fence they're actually doing it pretty well these days so it's not impossible it's just the the thing is i think apple doesn't want to invest in mac os that much anymore and i think that's what we're seeing now so also it's like a total typical apple response is like i love that all the fanboys were like oh steve jobs would never do this do you remember do you remember in when when did the iphone 4 come out like five years ago or something yeah when that came out and there was that whole drama about like you're holding it wrong and like the signal would go down if you held it in a certain way they had to come up do you remember what steve jobs did yeah but do you remember what he did first so apple denied it for a good four to six months after the phone came out right yeah, didn't they even like <laughs> release a thing explaining how to hold the phone yeah they released that and they also released a software update with an announcement saying <laughs> that the signal indicator was always bullshit and so <laughs> that like it would it would it was not displaying correctly and the top two never meant anything so they they released a software update that instead of showing four bars showed six so that, so that you could better see how the signal was impacted <laughs> <laughs> so Steve Jobs absolutely would do this kind of shit. Like it's so yeah. Apple to do Steve it. Jobs all about the, the user, the right? Like you know, I don't know. I think it's a fine move. Who cares? I can't believe I'm pissed off about it. I cannot believe we've just spent five minutes debating a battery indicator. I can because okay. it's so perfect. I hope I'm pronouncing for his, the week. Yeah, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Jessia. 
Jessia. Jess, yeah, he's going to correct us now. Okay. Um, what emerging tech do you guys speculate will be the thing that answers, be the thing that answers the uh, quotes, people born in X time period don't know life before Y? So the, uh, cliche the qu- for the 2010s question mark. Um, okay, let's that- reword this question. The question is, you know how kids don't know what the dial-up sound is or what a fax machine does? What will that be for our modern time, basically? <laughs> what will that what be do you for think it will be? For like this decade. So like for, for 2010 to 2020. What will be the thing that if you were born in 2020, oh. you won't know what that is? Cars with a steering wheel is my answer. I think. Yeah, that's if you're probably born in true. And like, probably I don't think like, you'll get to touch a steering wheel. Yeah, I think that's true. Ever. And I also think probably like... The post, like the post person, right? Like the mail delivery person or whatever will probably not be a thing either. Yeah. I also think that the concept of like, man, I could list out a whole bunch of stuff. Like the concept of saving things or having a computer with a hard disk is even kind of absurd to me. Yeah, I noticed the other day I don't actually save anything anymore. I just quit applications and it kind of like deals yeah, with it, it for me. Yeah, it just goes into iCloud or something. Yeah, I don't, it's like, really weird. I think in 2020, the idea of having a computer that does anything more than have a web browser will be absurd. <laughs> like Chromebooks are genius to me. Like, like that is where computing is going to me. So, like the fact that we're arguing over MacBooks with battery indicators and hard disk size and performance is just ridiculous. So, and definitely a hundred percent, they will never get to experience an analog projected film in a theater. Maybe, oh, maybe not uh, even a digital not. projected film. Like, mm, there's a good chance that. Uh, Things will go also, much, much higher into experiential. I think the other thing that's like maybe more existential is they won't ever experience being offline. And I know that most kids right now don't experience that, but I think it will be impossible to be offline by 2020. Like, the, like right now we still have black spots everywhere. Like you drive far enough out of San Francisco, you'll find like a sure. place with no signal. We'll have I think high the, speed global club coverage. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX right now, he's going to launch global connectivity always on everywhere for basically nothing with his new satellite company. So I think the concept of being AFK or offline, which, oh God, makes me feel old, won't exist uh, by then. So because we'll all be wearing spectacles that vibrate into our ears when everybody wants to talk to us. Yeah. Bone conduction. Probably also, like, I'll be curious to see if... When someone born today is my age, we'll still dial phone numbers. I don't think that makes any sense. It'll be usernames or even like you'll just say the name and your phone knows who you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. You don't need like you. Yeah, I don't I don't think that that will exist. Phone numbers are absurd, though. Even credit cards are kind of absurd. (laughs) I don't know anyone's phone number anymore. And I used to know everyone's phone numbers because that was the only way you could know anyone's numbers if you Yeah, I don't know anybody's phone number now that I moved country. Like I used to know my girlfriend's phone number off by heart, but like that's because we started dating before the iPhone was a thing. So (laughs) my phone number in the UK was 018-840-306. Does it go anywhere if you ring it now? I don't know what would happen if you called that number. I mean, I guess we could, I don't know how to call into the UK and stuff now. Damn. I want to hear like a higher pitched John on his voicemail. You come to me with that information next week. 
So All right. that sounds good. I seem, I think that's the right thing. Also, a cool thing happened in the Slack. Did you see um, Abby was talking about how she was working with um, AWS and Qualcomm oh, yeah. to do something with uh, Greengrass? That was cool. That is cool. I was like, wow. Yeah, they demonstrated on stage, actually, their company. We are cutting nice. edge. Super, super nice. I love that. What good, what predictions have we gotten completely off? Like, what do, where have we been super off oh, the mark God. on? Maybe that should be our challenge for us, like, team people, is, like, yeah. finding what we're completely wrong what, about. <laughs> yeah, what have we been super off the mark on? Well, we were, I mean, the number one thing would be Trump winning the election. <laughs> I was right about that. Oh, you were right. I was not, but, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's lots of stuff. I don't know if we've been podcasting long enough, but when we reach like 52 podcasts, that one, that's when we'll know. Traffic is driving me nuts. I'm going to build a tunnel boring machine and just start digging. It shall be called the Boring Company. Boring. It's what we do. I'm actually going to do this. Who said that? Elon Musk. Do you think he will actually start a tunnel building company? I don't know. We don't. We don't know if he's. I love that the guy who makes a car company with self-driving cars is pissed off by traffic. (laughs) Oh my goodness! He's actually changed his Twitter bio to be Tesla, SpaceX, tunnels (parentheses yes, tunnels) and OpenAI. (laughs) I love him so much. I was really hoping he would have an outburst at Trump, and then I realized that. He launches rockets and he needs to be good with the government. So he can't do that. (laughs) My like number one concern with Elon Musk is he reminds me a little bit of, of the fable of Icarus. How do you mean? I just think like he's flying a little close to the sun. You know, I think he like has a lot of resource and a lot of ideas and like, and he could burn up by accident at any point. He's just like, you know, he's, I've always wondered about his, just how like, defocused and, and stretched kind of he is but whatever you know what's funny is jack dorsey struggles to run twitter and stripe at the same time and elon musk is building rockets and electric cars all yeah but the those same are time. much easier com- like elon has a much easier job of it like i wouldn't want to be in a payments company and twitter if you have no customers then it's really hard <laughs> perfect oh, oh savage all right last topic and then i gotta go Okay, what is it? Evernote revisits uh, privacy policy oh, change. What is this? I haven't even read it, so you talk. Okay, first of all, who the hell still uses Evernote? And now I'm going to get a lot of hate notes don't about even Evernote. Know what Evernote. Who the really hell is? still uses Evernote? What is Evernote? Evernote is a what? You don't know Evernote? I don't think so. It's like it's like if you had to pay somebody for making notes in a notebook, that would be Evernote. <laughs> There's a lot of people that swear by it, but it's a desktop app and a mobile app that is very good at capturing notes and making them indexable including images so you can take a picture of a business card and it pulls the the text from it and stuff it's really cool like the concept is really cool the app is really bad like everything about evernote is like if you made a notes app in 2006 and didn't change anything anyway sorry eric a lot warble of people, if you're listening apparently that's the chief product yeah, officer sorry guy eric okay warble. first of all who still uses evernote second of all what <sighs> Okay, so they changed their privacy policy, basically. A lot of people use Evernote, just to be clear. A lot, a lot of people use Evernote. And they changed Apparently their privacy policy. Apparently they have million active users, which is quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so they changed their privacy policy to say that they're adding machine learning. And so for machine learning, they need to be able to see inside your notes, which makes sense. But they also added a subnote that said, 
And because they're adding machine learning, any employee can look inside your private notes. And everybody was like, what are you doing? And basically, um, a lot of journalists use Evernote because, like, whatever, indexable and, like, you can't keep everything in your head. And journalists are like, what, like think, I think I saw Steve Kovach, that guy from Business Insider, tweet that he keeps interview notes from anonymous sources with their names inside Evernote. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? What an idiot. Yeah. First of all, don't keep that digitally, dude. And second of all, okay, probably use something encrypted if you do. But uh, there's a lot There's a lot of drama about it. And all I really had to say was, why are you still using Evernote? Please write to me. I want to know. <laughs> Apple Notes is fine. That's what I use. I just write in Apple Notes. Evernote remains committed to the following. Evernote employees do not and will not read your notes without your permission. Evernote right. complies with law, the law in many ways that keep pri- privacies in many ways that keep the privacy of our customers paramount. <laughs> our three laws of data protection remain intact. Your data is still yours. It is protected and it is portable. Right. Oh, Evernote, whatever you are. I mean, Meh. what we need is like a way to, how can, yeah, this is going to be a problem. I was actually thinking about this with our company the other day, because I'm like, I want to keep all of the data, uh, all the different data of all the different cities in their own VPCs. But right. I also want to be able to do cross data set analysis of different cities at a high level to benchmark them against each other. But I can't do that with the way that that's architected for privacy and security. So as a CEO, do I provide an additional feature that a may generate more revenue for my company and therefore complete my fiduciary obligation to my shareholders? Um, But but in doing so may Im- uh, implicitly weaken the uh, security architecture and structure of the application. Right. And so it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough thing to grapple with. And like, I hope that there becomes a way for us to do data set and data analysis and machine learning in a means but... in a, like in a means that a human couldn't be involved, but the, application itself could still um uh do the the correlation and summation and and get the the insight that or the context that's required to form the insight like i i hope that we come to a solution on this because as we as more and more companies decide to add machine learning to more and more things it requires greater unfettered access to large uh likely deliberately decorrelated data sets Basically, what you're saying is data is hard and nobody solved it yet. Yes, sir. Sorry, that was definitely contrived. Hard. No, but I mean, it's true. It's it's very true. Uh, somebody the other day said like, oh, Slack uh, stores all of its data in se- separate VPC uh, configurations. I was like, what? That's insane. And then you said something like, oh, it actually makes sense. Everything's segmented. And I was like, okay, yeah, data is pretty hard. So yeah, that like, was the conclusion of that. Of course, like for our for our app, we do every city is its own EC2 instances. It's its own little isolated VPC. And it- So you can't it, accidentally anything. Yeah, you can't get into it unless you're really specifically trying to get into it. And you'd have to know where it is and it doesn't touch anything else. So to know where anything else was, you'd have to, like if you take security 
seriously, the main, um, the main like um, kind of differentiator, I think, in security these days is is a a very widespread decorrelation of what you have that that can only be interpreted when it's brought together in a specific way. So like one of the things that I was talking about when I worked at DigitalOcean with um, with JP Morgan and their architecture group and how we structured some stuff at DigitalOcean was, you know, you want to actually almost make it that if someone did breach your perimeter security and got into your application and there was all this data, it wouldn't make any sense to them. Like it, it, you would, it's not even about the encryption. It's like, even if you decrypted it and looked at it, it would be like, a bunch of letters were stored off in this corner and, and, and they didn't make any sense if you viewed them on their own. And, but this, the concept of bringing them together and, and executing that together is one thing. Uh, but you'd have to know kind of the recipe of how that comes together and you can make that super secret. And like, it's really, it's, so that's a really interesting and like good kind of distributed way to do information and architecture and information security that basically the opposite of, of a monolith. Um, but, but that, that's really hard to do if you also, (laughs) yeah, it's like really hard. I think that's the thing that people not in tech don't realize is like, what do you guys do all the time? Yeah. Actually a lot of it is dealing with data. Like it's just a mess. Everything is a mess. And we're talking about about Yahoo and stuff, but it's hard. Yeah, like we're we're also building on top of primitives that were created sometimes in the late 80s and early 90s. Like, you know, like M- MD5, once you get deep with that oh. and you have a whole bunch of stuff there, like it's real hard to think about how you're going to rehash everything and like re-encrypt everything and move into a new uh, uh encryption scheme. Uh, like it's just these are these are not and if you're at scale, we're talking about many many hours of time to design implement test and 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 migrate into a new architecture or a new environment and then there's a lot of cost involved in that too potentially more cost than actually even worth running your business and and then on top of that like it also generally puts you behind in your product development and i think that's where all these tech companies run into problems is that they can't innovate because they're stuck in a legacy debt situation and like i felt that and i don't think anybody at do would ever like you know say it was unfair for me to say this but like our first couple years through 2013 and even into early 2014 I mean, the, the cloud was a bunch of Perl scripts, right? And we had to move to like... Yeah, it's, just, it's a bunch of dirty, dirty hacks. Yeah, because that's what you do when you're building an MVP. But then when you go into production, we're like, hey, now we have to take this seriously. We And like, it, it was... You, know, you sit back and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, ben, like Ben, the CEO is like, <laughs> like, are you serious that we now have to take a whole year of not focusing on building product stuff to like move to go microservices? But it's like... Now that they're API driven and they're in that place and whatever, like it's, it's a much easier place to develop from and stuff like that. But also when we started, like go wasn't a thing. Like Go wasn't right. a language that people were you like, have to use what's was available using to Go. You. Like that was it. So like we're talking about even in the last two and a half, like a year and a half, two years is really when things started to change and like microservices became a thing and containers became a thing and like it became easier but you now either have to pull yourself out of that legacy debt situation uh or 
or re-architect your whole app from scratch and, 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 go, to, and go to live on that. Yeah. And, and like switch over one. And, but, that, but either of those paths are equally difficult. And personally, you know, like if I were to, if I, if it's me and I'm advising people, it's like, bur- don't try and dig yourself out of the hole, like burn, rebuild it and rebuild it next to it and burn it down. Like it's way, yeah, way, totally it's way better in the long run. On that topic, <laughs> that's, I think that's really good advice. Maybe the whole podcast should be, burn it down and don't try and rebuild the same thing. Anyway, time for my time for my end spiel, man. Time for my end spiel. One thing. If you like this, please review us on iTunes or SoundCloud or just send us an email. You can email us on hi at chargepodcast.com. You can see the show notes at chargepodcast.com. You can follow us on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can comment on SoundCloud or on Twitter. I Just internet. Anyway, we like to hang out, so just get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. If you like it, hate it, don't whatever send <laughs> awesome us, to hang out John. send us weird emails please send us weird emails they're our favorite we love them okay good hanging out did you see rogue one yeah no i didn't did you was it worth it yeah i went to see it uh was it good i don't like star wars so i like uh, I'm, a, I'm a star trek fan i'll go see it and i'll review it next week then it was it was it was like it just it good thankfully cinema, didn't feel like a jj abrams film and i because i'm sick of jj oh, abrams God. bullshit yeah exactly yeah. so it was good cinema it was like a good it was how well, did that well guy shot. end up doing star trek and star wars how did he I get to do anyway. anything after lost like i don't understand that like <laughs> why was he allowed to do and anything then anyway oh i love it i'll see it next week right. all right one last podcast before christmas later buddy all right bye